I would ask that you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, and we begin to turn our attention to the Word of God. And the message that God has for us. John chapter 4. Begin reading in verse 7. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you know the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give give you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, Are you who gave us this well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty nor come all this way to draw. He said to her, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You have correctly said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you have now is not your husband. This you have said truly. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for the opportunity to gather together and listen to your word being proclaimed. What a privilege it is that we can come with such freedom and and listen to its truths And I pray that that's what we would hear today is just this word, that it would speak to our hearts, Lord, that we would hear what you have said in your word so that we may live it out in our lives. And Lord, it is this word that exposes us, it exposes our heart and exposes our lifestyle, our living we realize, Lord, we do not measure up to this word. And, and we don't deserve any more information. We do not deserve to, to pick this word up, to, to read it, when we have not applied what we, what we already know. Lord, we know, though, that you are capable of forgiving sin. You're capable of cleansing us from all unrighteousness. You're capable of changing our lives and bringing us up to the standard that we need to to hold to. And so your word is just exposing us to this standard of of where we need to be. 
Lord, help us to help us to glean what we would need to hear today. And, and may, may it become our standard. And may, may we, we live up to what we know. Lord, when we recognize that it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can do that. So we, we beg of you, Lord. We're so needy, so dependent upon you. We just beg for understanding and beg for clarity so that we can work these things out in our lives. That it may not be head knowledge, not be just information, but it be transferred into our lives, that our lives are transformed for your honor, for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we, if we look around uh, this room, we would, we would come to the conclusion that people are different. Uh, there's all kinds of different people. And, uh, and that can be a little difficult for us to digest, to us, for us to, to bring into our minds, especially when it comes to evangelism. How do we minister to so many different people? And people are different. People are different. And we can lose motivation when we look at the vast number of people and say and, and, and come to the conclusion, I can't relate to all of those people, so why try? And so often I believe that's our mentality, and we, we just not we, we just don't evangelize. We just kind of pull back from evangelism. I mean there's there are differences. I mean fifty percent of us are male, fifty percent are, are female. That's just a start. We have different skin color, skin tones, different cultures. Uh, all over the world you have, you have differences, differences in culture. But even just mankind himself, we, we're just, just different. There's, there's a difference between age, older uh, age and younger age, and different, different uh, perspectives of life uh, because of age, and different uh, maturity levels, even within those those various ages, different personalities, uh, different levels, like I said, levels of understanding. And how, as believers, can we relate to all the world? There's 8 billion people. And God has called us to evangelize the world. How do we do that without losing motivation when we see the vast number? And the diversity of people. Well, scientists really, they tell us that when it comes down to it, there's less than 1% difference, way less than 1% difference between all of the people, all of the billions of people on the earth. We're really not that different. Even our personalities are really just varying degrees in one way or the other. We're very, very similar very similar. And, and I want us to see that today. That becomes important when we're evaluating our own lives and, and we're looking at an approach to evangelism. Christ gives us that approach. And I think there's some things that we can observe in this passage that will help us and will help to motivate us to evangelize. Now, just by way of introduction to this text, I, I want us to just be reminded of a few things. 
last week, or actually two weeks ago, we, um, we brought this conversation that John is having with us from chapter 4 and uh, just introducing this little section. This is the woman at the well. This is the Samaritan woman. And Jesus finds himself at the right time, at, in the right place. He was by the well, the foot of Mount Gerasim. And it was about high noon. It was about six hours. Uh, in the sixth hour, it says. In Jewish time, that would have been noon. And so he finds himself just at the right place, just at the right time. And you get the idea that God has worked. God has orchestrated this, this moment. And we'll see that actually later, further on in chapter 4. And we'll, we'll look at that more closely. But there's another element here that I want us to see. Here's a, a thread that John is, is weaving through this book. Now remember, the bigger picture of this book, the reason that he's writing this gospel is so that you will believe, so that he can present evidence to you, so that he can give you some, uh, some, uh, an account here of Jesus' life that you will say, yes, I believe that. So that you will come to a place in your life that you will believe. Now, <clears throat> he has shown us uh, various things. The last conversation, though, that Jesus had with someone else was Nicodemus. And one thing that we pull out of that conversation is this revealing truth about God is the fact in verse 16 of chapter 3 that God so loved the world. Now, that would have been devastating for Nicodemus. And in fact, the Jewish community in general, that would have been a wake-up call. That would have been a shock. God loves the world and that thread is seen throughout uh, chapter 3, and, and it's actually unfolding now in chapter 4. Now look at the last verse in chapter 3, he who believes. That's anyone who believes. Anyone who believes. And that thread is there. That thread is there. Now Jesus, he is moving from, uh, if you'll remember, 1 to 6, Jesus was just moving from Judea into Galilee. He's just moving from one Jewish city to another Jewish city, but he has to go through Samaria. And you you read through this, it says he had to pass through Samaria in verse 4, and you get the idea that it was a a God-ordained meeting for him to go through through that that land. And we, we really... When we look back at it, we see, yes, it was. It was God-ordained. God was at work in all of this. And that's exactly, that's exactly what we see. And Jesus finds himself with an opportunity here to speak with this lady. But there's one last thing, or one other thing here that I want you to see. And remember, is the fact that Jesus knows the heart of man. He knows the heart of man. And that's another theme that John is going to weave throughout this book. But the end of chapter 2, he says, Because he did not uh, need anyone to testify concerning man, this is Christ, for he himself knew what was in man. And you need to keep that in mind. Remember Nicodemus? He knew what was in Nicodemus' heart. And he goes right to the questions. And he answers directly to Nicodemus, and you'll see the same thing here. He knows what is in this lady's heart. In fact, what we'll see is he really just exposes that heart. He just pulls that flesh back and he just exposes that sinful heart. And what we see then, and you'll notice one another thing is this, this is 
There's no name given to this lady. This is a woman at the well. This is a, the Samaritan woman. There's no name here. And you, and you think about it. Why? Because God Himself, is He loves the world. And He is opening this up to the world. This message is not just for the Jews, but to the world. And this lady is, is just typical of the world. Jesus finds Himself talking to a non-Jewish lady. A non-Jewish lady. But it was all in God's design. Because God loves the world. So, Christ knows the heart of man. He, God loves the world. His, uh, his motive is to give this message to the world. Now, it's to the Jews first and then to the world. And it's going to be opened up to the world. Now, concerning this particular passage, here's what I want you to see today. Here's the point. Christ exposes the desperate condition of mankind and declares himself as the only one who can quench the thirsting soul of man. There's two parts to that. Jesus exposes, he has to expose the desperate condition of man. And if there's anything that will motivate us to evangelize, it should be that right there. Well, look at that. And he also declares himself, he declares himself as the only way, the only uh, means by which man can quench his thirsting soul. And again, it should be a motivating factor for all of us to evangelize. Now, the question that we want to just answer here is, how can we as Christians learn from, from Christ's dealing with the unsaved? He's dealing with the unsaved. He's dealing with this unsaved world that he is going to reach, that this message is for. And how, how do we do that? How do we do that in its vastness, in, in the diversity of the world? Well, there are certain observations here that I think we can make from this text that, uh, that are important and I think will motivate us and will help us in our motivation to evangelize. There's just three observations for Christ-like evangelism. Three observations for Christ-like evangelism. In verse 7, And there came a woman of Samaria. A woman of Samaria. Now, the first word there, the, the, the woman, she would have... What we see here is her insignificant status. Her insignificant status. The, the first point is there is no insignificant people. In Christ's world, there's no insignificant people. And you can see that just by her insignificant status. She was a woman. woman women were looked down upon during this time in this place and the world. Women were looked down upon. They were little more than property. If you were a Jewish man, you would give thanks to the Lord for two things. Number one, that you were not a Gentile. You'd be thankful that you were not a Gentile. And then you would be thankful that you were not a woman. The Jews look down upon the women. That is not teaching that we find in Scripture. That was the teaching of the Pharisees. And they were, it, was, it was part of the Roman culture. It was part of the cultures before that. In fact, Christianity elevates women to a higher level. But the Jews at this point in time, they, they look down upon women. You would not even speak to a woman in public if you were a man. And you would 
not, not even your wife. You would not even talk to your wife in public. It's just not something that you do. Women were essentially insignificant. But she was also a Samaritan woman. She was a Samaritan woman. Now, you need to understand this, and you need a little bit of history. So turn back to 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 17. 2 Kings chapter 17. Actually, uh, uh, really throughout 17, you get an idea of what, what is going on. Uh, the king of Assyria, he comes in and he captures the Samaritans, those, those Israelites that were living in the area of Samaria, and he brings them away. He captures them and takes them back to Babylon. In verse 24, here's what we read. The king of Assyria brought the men of Babylon and from Kutha and from Ava and from Hamath and and uh, Sephirim and settled them. So he brings his own men from Babylon and settles them in the cities of Samaria, that whole region of Samaria. He settles them there in place of the sons of Israel. So they possessed, possessed Samaria and lived in their cities. Now, you, you get the, the point here. There was an exile. Israel had sinned against God. God allowed this king to come in and take some of the people and take them back to, the, uh, to, to Babylon, the king of Assyria. And, uh, and he takes some of his people and he transplants them and puts them in Samaria. What is he wanting to do? He's wanting to merge the two cultures. It's better that way so he's not having to, to deal with uprisings. If he can merge the two cultures, then people will live in harmony and things will will be well. Well, that doesn't sit well with the Jews in general, does it? And another element to this is their whole genealogy. And so by the time you get back to uh, the, the, Jews, the Jews get back from Exodus and they, they, are, um, they are, are from exile and they were put back into their land, um, they have what they have is just half-breeds. You have these uh, these. Uh, non-Jews, these Gentiles, these men from Babylon who have bred with, with the Samaritans, the ones that were left there, and, uh, and you have half-breeds. And the genealogy to a Jew is everything. If you don't have a genealogy, if you cannot trace your lineage back to a certain point, even back to Abraham, you're really not a person. You're, you just don't exist. You're not in the, in the circle of Jewish culture. Even in Ezra's day, if you remember back in Ezra's day, the Samaritans tried to help. They wanted to help the Jews to, to assimilate back. And, and Ezra and the people rejected their help. They didn't want their help. There was a need to, pure, to keep that race pure. And so, the, of course, the Samaritans were offended. And, and they said, well, we're just going to worship here. And they set their place of worship instead of Jerusalem. We're going to worship on Mount Gerasim. We'll see that more next week. They held to, they tried to assimilate to the Jewish tradition, and they would hold to the, the Torah, the first five books of the, of the book of the law of Moses, 
but they were not Jews. They did not have the genealogy, and so they did not fit in. And in fact, it's what it says, is that the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. I believe that there was a, there's a, a push for the, with the Samaritans, the want to fit in, but the Jews would have no dealings with the Samaritans. And the word dealing there is to, literally is to use the same utensil. They would not use the same utensil. They would not sit down and eat with, with them. They would have no dealings with them. In fact, if Christ would have drunk, drunk from her, uh, the water pot there, he would have been ceremonially unclean and have to go clean himself. And Christ, uh, Christ of course, cannot be contaminated. He was the Son of God. It's a, a silly thing, but that's the way man's mind works. We can create laws. We can create things in our own heads that, that uh, just are off kilter. And that's exactly what you see with the Pharisees. They had developed a religion that was, was off. Now, another element to this thing is that she was a, a, a woman, a woman of Samaria, and she was also a sinful woman. We'll see that. She's a sinful woman, and any religious leader would have never associated. They would have been so careful to not associate associate at all with a sinful woman like this. And again, what was happening here was Jesus was using this lady as just a typical person. As, as someone in everyday conversation that he will reveal himself to. In fact, listen what happens. Look at the end here. This is the climax. Look at verse 26. And Jesus said to him, or Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. This is back in John 4. I who speak to you am he. Jesus reveals his Messiahship to her. Now that's, that's just, that is mind-boggling. The Jews were God's people. But Christ, this is the first rev, uh, revealing of his, uh, of his Messiahship, and he does it to this most insignificant woman? Yeah. And, and here's the point. Jesus isn't some kind of revolutionary that is trying to come in and change their culture. That's kind of, we kind of read that into the passage. The point here is there is no insignificant people. God loved the world. That's what we need to take. That's what we need to, uh, to understand. Now, we would never say that. There's insignificant people. Um, but I tell you, it's a little overwhelming when you think about the numbers of people on the earth. And, and, it's, and it's easy for our minds to drift and just say, you know, we just can't help everybody. And, and we just almost put them in that category of just being insignificant. Um, God gave us a huge task. Go make disciples of the whole world. And, and that's overwhelming as one person. So what is the implication there? is it will take all of us. This is a team effort. It takes the church. It takes the church. All of us ministering to, to evangelize and disciple this, this world. And you know what? We'll do it one person at a time. 
God orchestrated this moment when Christ was going to be here and have this conversation with this woman at the well, this insignificant person that he reveals his Messiahship to for the first time. It's it's amazing stuff. But Jesus is saying, you know what? No one is insignificant in my world. No one is insignificant. And, and, And so we have to be real careful here. It's real easy to to just blow off the rest of the world and just focus right here on our community. It's real easy for us to say, hey, you know what? We can't can't evangelize in the whole world. We We need to focus right here. There is plenty of ministry right here, right now to to be involved in. And that is so true. But we dare not. We must be very careful to not just write off the rest of the world. It takes both community-minded and missions-minded to come together to accomplish the task that God has called for us to do. There's no insignificant people. We must keep that in mind. That should be a motivating factor. No one is insignificant. No one is to be left behind. No one is, no one is beneath us to reach. Number two, there's another observation here I want you to make. Is mankind is desperate for salvation. Mankind is desperate for salvation. Notice her, um, her parched soul. Her parched soul. Um, Jesus, Jesus knows the heart of man. He knows what's going on inside of her because he knows that she is a sinner. She is a sinful person. And he knows the the effect that sin has had on her life. And that she is thirsty. She is a thirsty individual. Now, man's man's soul is thirsty. And I'm going to use that term because that's the term used here. Thirsty because we have been separated from our life source, from God. And it's because of our sin that we have been separated from our God and because of that, we, we, are, we are thirsty people, thirsty individuals. God created us to trust Him. He created us to, to have a relationship with Him and to worship Him and to focus on Him and to have our fulfillment in Him. And when we're not doing that, we are thirsty people. And you've got a whole world that is thirsty. Thirsty world. And here's what happens is man seeks to fill that thirst any way he can, any and every way that he can. Now you need to see this. Turn over to Jeremiah chapter 2. And Israel is a perfect example of this. Jeremiah chapter 2. Here's it's just a picture of mankind. This is what we do. Now we, we need to get this. I, I think we think that everything is okay because everything is okay on the surface. Everything is okay on the outside with the world, so everything must be okay. But it's not. And, and I think if we don't understand the spiritual elements to things, we have no motivation, we have no motive to get out there and evangelize. But here's what's actually happening. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. For my people have committed two evil, uh, two evils. Now, if you read the Old Testament, there's more than two evils that the, the Israelites have, have done. I mean, they were involved in every sin under the, under the book, in the book. And um, 
And, and God's narrowing it down to two things. Here's two things. He says, number one, they have forsaken me. They have forsaken me. The fountain of living water. Now, here's the first sin. God is here. He created them. He called them out of Egypt. He created to them to be His people. And they turned their back upon Him. They rejected Him. That's the first element. And when doing so, that was their fountain of living water. That was their source. They rejected Him. They rejected that source. And here's number two. Here's what they do next. To hewn out for themselves cisterns. What's a cistern? It's just a big... It's, it just holds water. Something that holds the water. Now here's the picture. We reject that life source. We will find our own life source. And we will hew it out. Water comes down. We can collect that water. And we will be just fine without God. That's the picture. That's the idea. Two sins. They reject God and they aggressively go after um, creating their own cisterns. It says broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Now, obviously, that's symbolic. What is he talking about there? Well, man has needs. Needs that God fulfills, but instead of having God fulfill these needs, they reject God and create their own cisterns. They create their own source of of living water or meeting their own needs. Physically, we can get that. We can see that. And and what what we see is this earth is just created to sustain life. And we use this earth to just... That's our cistern. We create... We create cisterns and, boy, it'll hold the water. This earth is plentiful. We can meet our physical needs from this earth. And we can write off God. We can work and we can do it. We can pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and we don't need God. But listen, there is no fulfillment in that. Now, we can meet our needs. Yes, we can. We can meet our needs. But even that is based upon the grace of God because it's God's world. This is God's air that we breathe, God's food that we uh, partake of, and God is just being gracious. And we think we've got sisters. Oh, we can do it without God. And then emotionally, we come up with psychology and, and um, the world. You see the world just hewning out these, these cisterns. We can meet our emotional needs by psychology or our our social needs by uh, just the, the social gatherings that we have. Or really, the way it's done today is we'll just meet our social needs but have no responsibility, have no com- real commitment to the social responsibilities that we have. And so we hewn out these, these cisterns. And what is wrong with these cisterns? They are broke. They do not work. They do not hold water, it says. But that's exactly what happens. That's what we we see the world doing. They can live their life apart from God and they think they are okay. But their cisterns are broken. The water will not sustain. It will not not, uh, help them. And in comes the Christian. In comes the Christian. And here's sometimes, here's what we do. I will help you fix your cistern. Oh yeah, there's no problems here. We'll help you fix it. And we'll take some, maybe some clay and we'll put it in where it's broken and, and seal up all of the cracks. 
We, we try to fix man. And we give man biblical principles to help the, their, their life by. Or we try to moralize people. And we try to fix them that way. But listen, there is no, there is no fixing man apart from one thing, and that is Christ Himself. Man needs living water. Now, can you imagine being in the desert for three days, having no water? Having no water. You finally make it to civilization, and and someone says, Hey, here, I bet you're thirsty. Here, have a bag of chips. That doesn't make sense. Or have a fruit roll-up. Well, you, you, you don't get it. You don't understand. I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. I need water. The world needs water. And this water, this living water is symbolic for what? Eternal life. Eternal life. And that's not just the the length of life. It's the quality of life. It's the kind of life that you're living. It's the spiritual life that we all live. And that's what the world needs. We don't need to try to fix their cisterns or try to give them biblical solutions to things. They need Christ. It's Christ alone. He is the one that the world is looking for so desperately, but they're looking in the wrong places. And Christ, in verse 14, He says, I will give, uh, I will give Him because uh, in Him all... Uh, in Him a well of water springing up, or become in Him a well of water springing up to eternal life. That's what... Christ can do. Christ died for sin. He died for sin, but at the same time, He becomes the source of our life. He becomes that spiritual source. And where we're not thirsty again. Or if we are thirsty, we know the source. We come back to the source and we get replenished. Um, and what we need to do is just reject those cisterns. Reject those cisterns. Say, that's not where the answer lies. We must pursue Christ. Man is, man is desperate. Man is desperate for Christ. So desperate that they will do anything in the world to, to create for themselves a life apart from God. And they wind up worshiping the creature, uh, Paul says, rather than the Creator. And... Here's, here's what I want you to see, though. Just because they don't ask. This lady didn't ask. And Jesus said, hey, you know, if you would have asked me, I would have given you living water. This lady didn't ask. The world is not knocking on our door. The world is not coming after us, knocking us down, saying, please give me this water. Please um, restore my thirst. Quench my thirst. But it is no less there. We might not see it. The world looks pretty good on the outside. But inside, we have to remember, we have to remember, here's the situation actually. They are in danger and we need to warn them. They, are, they have a chronic disease and we have the cure. Or they are lost in a maze and we have the directions. They are in darkness and we have the light. They are thirsty and hungry and we have food and water. They are estranged from their Creator and we can bring reconciliation through the Gospel. They are helpless, they are hopeless, and they have no purpose to life, no real purpose to life. And we can provide help, we can provide hope, and we can provide purpose 
through the gospel, through Christ Jesus. But again, they don't know. They're not knocking on my door. Hey, man, give me some of that. So how do we handle that? What do we do? What did Christ do? He had to bring in the spiritual element into this conversation. He had to do it. And it was, it was a little awkward. It sounds a little funny. It's a little catches her off guard. It makes her maybe feel a little bit uncomfortable. But that's what he does. He brings in the spiritual element into this conversation. And he does so seamlessly. We can learn from that. Here's what I want you to see. Just a couple of things. One, be gracious. He was very, very gracious. God, Christ was very gracious when he was talking with this lady. And number two, be faithful to share the word. It is about Christ. It is not about the cistern and fixing the cisterns, fixing the or moralizing the people or helping the people um, just, just get by their day. People need Christ. They're in desperate need of water. And then the last thing is just remember that. Remember that. They may look good on the outside, but, but people need, people are in desperate need of salvation. That's a motivating factor. Let me just give you one last point here, one last observation. There's no insignificant people. There's, there, people are in desperate need of salvation. And number three is, People need to realize their sinfulness before God. People need to realize their sinfulness before God. Notice her overwhelming sinfulness. Her overwhelming sinfulness in verse 16. And he said to her, go call your husband. Again, he's introducing, there's two things that she needs. And he, he's introducing these things. Um, one, she has to recognize her sinfulness. And so he is introducing this in a gracious way that uh, he can bring up her sinfulness. And then she also needs to know his messiahship, and that will be next week. But her overwhelming sinfulness will be revealed here in verse 16. And he says, go, call your husband. She said, uh, and come here. He says, uh, I have no husband. Now, now, she wasn't actually lying here, but what was going on? What was going on there? In her heart, and this is so typical, this is just like all of us. In her heart, in her heart, and Jesus was just kind of pulling back her heart and letting us see not just her heart, but this is the heart of sinful man. This is the way sin, there is shame there. She knows, she knows how sinful she is. Or maybe she doesn't. In fact, that's part of the confusion. But at least she has a conscience there. At least um, there's some guilt there, which is still good, which is good. There's some guilt there. But she's holding back, oh, I don't have a husband. Oh, technically, she's right, but, but she knows better than that. There's shame. Shame is a real thing. And the world needs to sense that shame. And, and I'm telling you, we have a world now that is trying to just get rid of the shame. If we could get rid of the stigma of sin, then we would be okay. But that's not okay. That's not going to do anything. They're thirsty. They need, they need a cure. And not just to, to get rid of the shame, but shame is good. The guilt that she was feeling was good, and it's, and it's obviously there. She's trying to hide back. She's holding back a little bit. And sin has been hard on her. And... and She's had a hard life. 
And Jesus nails her. He, he, goes, he focuses in on this sin. And this sin is the fact, now you need to listen to this, living with a man, living with a man is, is not marriage. Living together is, is just, it's not marriage. It's not acceptable. And it's fornication. It's, it's, uh, that's the sin that Jesus is pulling out of this lady. And in fact, at first what you see is, is uh, you know, well, that's not so bad. But then when you look at her sinfulness, she was a very bad person. She was a wicked, immoral person of lying and fornication and breaking her covenant vows six or five times. And she's now just living with this man. That's not, that's not acceptable at all. There's no such thing as a common law marriage. It's a legal marriage. There's legal marriages between husband and wife, and, it, and it's uh, done in a legal agreement. We need, to, we need to remember that. The world doesn't, but we need to remember that. God recognizes that kind of marriage. Now, He's just pointing her to her sinfulness. He's pointing her to her uh, not just moralizing, he's, he's pointing her to her sinfulness by pointing out one specific sin. Now, we don't like to do that, and the world doesn't like for us to do that, but how does the world see their sinfulness unless we point out sin? And we have to hold up sin, our, our standard here, and then point to it and say, that's wrong. And we have a world that doesn't want to do that anymore. They don't want to sense that shame, that guilt, those feelings of inadequacy. And so they just want to do away with those things. And we're not allowed to point out sin anymore. But that's what we have to do. Now, now listen, again, Jesus does it in a gracious way. In a very gracious way. In a very subtle way. But He does it. He does it. And that's the hardest thing. It's the hardest thing about our evangelism is just pointing out our own, uh, the sinfulness of others. Not just the sin, we need to do that, but it's their sinfulness against God. Now, there's more to it than just morals. Obviously, you've got to point them to Christ. But here's what we cannot have. We cannot have uh, just a message of Christ without, not, without pointing out sinfulness. We can't do that. Then people just add Christ to their world, add Christ to their sinfulness or their sinful lifestyle, and just go on their way. And that's not acceptable at all. Sin must be confessed. Sin must be uh, repented of and, and taken care of and gotten out of the way. And that is our message that sin can be taken care of. And that's the message of hope. And if there's any day that our country needs hope it's right now and we have a message of hope we can give um, water living water to thirsty people who don't even know they're thirsty but yet we pull back it's overwhelming task what should motivate us is the same thing that motivates Christ, I believe. And that's just, He exposed the desperate condition of mankind. He knew her desperate condition. Do you know the desperate condition of mankind? Do you understand that they are dying? 
that they, are, they have a chronic disease, that should motivate us. And then the second thing is that, that motivated Christ was just that He knew He was the only one that could help. He was it. He was the cure. He was the source of, of this living water. Now, if we just pull this together and apply this, it should motivate us. It should motivate us to get out into the world. But there's also another element here. Um, Christ is offering you this living water. If you don't understand these things, if, if you are thirsty, it's because God has allowed you to be aware of that thirst. And He is, he is drawing you. And you're thirsty for a reason because you're away from your God. And it's because of sin that you're away from your God. And listen, Christ and I am offering this water to you today. And it is Christ Jesus. He is the only way. He is the only truth and the only life. He's our source of life. And then, just by way of application for us who know the Lord, does this motivate you to, to get out there? When you understand the sinfulness of man, when you look at this lady's life being racked with sin, and, and knowing that we have the answer, and, and we can help her. We can do something about this. Now granted, she wasn't asking. She wasn't looking. We may have to raise the question. We may have to point things out. We may have to make the situation a little bit uncomfortable. But we need to do what we have to do. We need to do what we have to do. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank You for exposing us to the heart of sinful man and just kind of letting us see how filthy we are and how in desperate need we are of using the terminology of, of thirst and quenching this thirst and, and this eternal life that we need. Oh Lord, we, we're in desperate need desperate need of You. And we have a world that's in desperate need of You. And thank You, Lord, for working in our heart, bringing us to this point of having this wellspring of, of water in us. Now, Lord, help us to see a dying world who really doesn't like us, who, who would rather not have us around, who is rebelling against You and Your message and rebelling against your standards and eventually your people. Lord, help us to stand when we need to stand. And Lord, help us to, help us to be able to be faithful and be gracious at the same time. Be faithful to give out the message, this, this gospel that, that may wind up breaking relationships. May wind up being uh, the, the cause of us going to jail may wind up being the cause of our own persecution. But Lord, help us to be faithful. Help us to not shrink back in showing people Your standards and Your Messiah in Christ Jesus. Lord, thank You for working our heart. 
And I pray that we would in turn be used by you to, to reach the world. Lord, thank you for the concept that you not only love the Jews, but you love the world. We thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.